Roland Allensworth's favorite goldfish, Ferdinand, had contracted a trivial yet deadly disease, previously known to strike only rabbits and artichokes. Upon being told by the doctor that Ferdinand would never again play the piano, Roland became hysterical and accused his lovely yet mundane wife, Abigail, of poisoning his ailing fish. Seizing a pistol, Roland declared he had nothing more to live for and, holding the gun to his head, pulled the trigger. As it turned out, Roland had inadvertently pointed the handle of the gun toward his head and the bullet struck his understandably surprised wife. Luckily, Abigail sustained a mere flesh wound as the bullet bounced off the spare tire around her middle and embedded itself in Ferdinand's little heart, thereby putting the poor little guy out of his misery. Unfortunately, we don't have time for today's episode, so be with us again some other time for another True Life episode of Another Hospital. And here he is, a legend in his own mind, Stan Katz.
I mean to tell you, that's one of my favorite songs, Kenny Loggins. I'm staying cats. You know, for years I was just an accident waiting to happen. Then I thought, why wait? So here's tonight's question. If your elbows bent the other way, what would a saxophone look like? Write your name on your address, send the answer to us, and who knows, you could be caller number nine. You see, we don't have the budgets that the other radio stations have to entice you to listen. They have to buy the audience because, frankly, if they didn't, they wouldn't get anybody to listen. A listener wants to know why we don't play any new music. Two reasons. One, we can't afford it. And uh, secondly, we cover, we cater for such a broad demographic that uh, we're not sure who likes what. Uh, Sam Listener wanted to know why we don't play Puffy the Dog. I said, you mean Puff Daddy, now known as P. Diddy, because I think she was getting confused with Puffy the Dog, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, and Snoop Doggy Doo-Doo. So now you understand our problem. So in the absence of new music, we try and bring you interesting facts. The research team at the Stan Katz Show has come up with this amazing fact that Did you know in a lifetime the average man shaves 26 square kilometers of face while the average woman shaves 40 kilometers of leg? And that's assuming, of course, she always shaves both legs. Here's a special message for you smokers who've been trying to kick the habit. Now you can quit for good, thanks to Shtick's new one cough at a time method. <laughs> yes, with Shtick's new one cough at a time, you learn to stop smoking the way you started, out behind the house when no one was looking. For the first two weeks, you'll smoke pretty much the way you do now, constantly, with much coughing, choking, and wheezing. <laughs> For the next two weeks, you'll smoke with the guys down at your old college. Then for the next two weeks, you'll smoke in the restroom at your high school. Finally, (laughs) for the last two weeks, you'll be right back where you started, getting nauseous after inhaling a Marlboro on a dare from your older brother. (laughs) Just like when you started. That's where you can stop. With sticks all new, one cough at a time. On sale at a, <laughs> at a vending machine near you. <laughs> when the going gets tough, the tough get going, 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 going.
Fabulous Thunderbirds and Tough Enough, preceded by Billy Billy Ocean. Um, and then uh, when the going gets tough, the tough hold up more banks. And boy, times are tough. I'm so broke. By the time I'm finished paying my bills at the end of the month, all I have left to spend is a quiet evening at home. I mean, I'm so broke. Talk about trying to make ends meet. My ends haven't met in such a long time that they wouldn't recognize each other. That's bad enough. I mean, I, I get whiplash watching the prices go up at the supermarkets. I'm not as bad as my lady, though. <laughs> I mean, she uh, lost her credit card last week, and uh, the sale, the retail sales index dropped 15%. So, yeah, times are tough. The weather doesn't help. I saw people playing tennis the other day, wearing galoshes for crying out loud. Ah, uh, man, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. La- and then soon it's winter. Last winter, do you remember how cold it got? It was so cold, all the fires froze. Honest, we just ground them up and sold them as chili peppers. <laughs>
Bruce Hornsby in the range with uh, Mandolin Rain. Eric Clapton before that, Let It Rain. You know, growing up, uh, we weren't allowed to talk about the rain. My grandfather would not let us talk about the rain, about rain in the house. He would say, don't talk to me about the rain. When I was your age, we couldn't afford rain. We had to go to the, if we wanted rain, we had to go 22 kilometers to the nearest town and get the rain that the rich folks weren't using. Don't talk to me about rain. Say, guys, do you have trouble wooing women? Are you a gloomy Gus with the gals? Not very brave with the broads? Would you like to be a champ with the chicks? Then you should read my latest bestseller entitled How to Pick Up Ugly Girls by Harvey Schlepp. Yes, I'm Harvey Schlepp, and I'm here to tell you, even if you're the biggest clot on your block, there are literally several ugly girls all over the world who are just dying for you to approach them. My book tells all the secret methods for making ugly women fall all over you. In fact, there's a special chapter devoted to just that subject, entitled Techniques for Tripping Ugly Women. Perhaps you're thinking, sure, that's easy for you to say. You're Harvey Schlepp, the famous author and raconteur. You're probably good-looking as all get-out. To this I reply, "Uh uh-uh. Look, here's a picture of me with one of my ugly girlfriends and her pet goat. See how ugly I am. And look at her. See how ugly she is. That's her on the left. No, that's the goat on the left. I think... Anyway, this picture is proof that the methods outlined in my book really do work. So pick up your copy of How to Pick Up Ugly Girls today, and you'll be able to hustle a homely honey tonight. You're listening to the Stan Katz Experiment in studio with me, Helen, the one and only Dubois. Oh, bonjour, bonjour, va. And our special guest, Heine Schmidt. Ah, uh, good night, good night, good night. Welcome. Ah, uh, danke, danke. Very nice to be here with you both. Very nice. Hello, hello, Hi. South Africa. Very nice to be here. Heiner, you could take us back a long way to the Second World War. Yeah. Which was your heyday. Well, it was it was a big mark in my life. Yes, you know, it was a very very German mark. A German mark. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a mark in my life. A German mark. Which was worth nothing back then, I want to tell you. No, you could take a mark to the market, but you couldn't buy nothing with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're, I mean, you're an actor. Yeah, I was, I was a very famous German actor, uh-huh. yes, during the, the, the Second World War. Because, yeah, you kind of, you remind me of somebody. Oh, yeah. Well, not Hamlet by any chance. No, 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 not Hamlet, sadly, no. <laughs> Hamlet. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hamlet. Uh, Hamlet. <laughs> Hamlet, yes, we'd say, you know, Hamlet, Hamlet, your father is a ghost. Uh, yeah, no, I was during the Second World War. I, I, I did Hamlet uh, to begin with, and uh, I, I once had a show where I had 15 standing, uh, 15 minutes uh, applause. Uh, wow. Yeah, 15 bows. Uh, standing it almost sounds it. like bombs falling. 
You're, you're determined to talk about this, this other roles that okay, I had to met. play, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. I warned you not to mention the war. You know, I know. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> yes, I was the one who had to play Hitler mm-hmm. during the Second World War. I was the Hitler lookalike. I was the one who was in the bunker. It was not Hitler, it was me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it wasn't a role I actually wanted, you understand. Mm. It wasn't something that I longed for. I didn't audition. I was, uh, I was more like. Commandeered. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was at, uh, at the barrel of a gun, you know. You will okay. play this role or you will not roll at all, you know. So, yeah. He so could be, he could be very persuasive. He could be, yeah. Yeah, Goebbels, Goebbels had very little sense of humor. You know, he, th- he liked to think of himself as a great director. But in, in, in fact, he was a, he was a little, he was a little bully, you know. Uh, uh, met, met lots of people in black. He had a thing about wearing black. I don't know what it was, you know, but, uh, Kind of put me off, you know. Yeah, but he he wrote a script and uh, he 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 had he had to, uh, surgically alter my face, you know. Yeah, so they took me in a hospital and they, they made me look like Hitler. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, but they, I couldn't grow the mustache, so they had a because uh, of Hitler. You said, of course, it died. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't know this. Oh no, you say Hitler had died during the briefcase bomb attack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Spread it around like yeah. confetti. Yeah, yeah, he'd been blown into little fewer bits. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and they collected all the hair and they made a moustache for me. So the moustache I wear I was a real Hitler's hair. You know? Really? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of gross. Yeah, we, we didn't know which part of the body it came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, so they used to stick it on with, uh, with stuff. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So are there any other are there any similarities between you and Hitler? I mean, he was a bit of a strange man. There's some very odd things. Oh no, about he him. was a bit like, of a strange man. Did, yeah, did you yeah, yeah. did you know? It's like they in the Titanic had a slight steering problem. <laughs> it was odd. He was an oddball. But um that that he actually he invented the concept of blow up dolls. Well, you know, he he wasn't an attractive man. And and he yeah. only had one testicle. You know, Hitler had only one so. Yeah, you know that song. You know, yes. Yeah, it's true. No, he, he, yeah, you know, he lost, he lost, he lost a nut during somewhere. He was a one-nutted nut. One stone lighter. Yeah, what did yeah. he tell us, uh, or give us a taste of the song? Well, the song, it, it, it was a great song in World War Two, always sung by the by the Allies. You know, Hitler hated it. It was number one everywhere, except of course in Germany, where it was banned. And if you listen to it, you are shocked. Yeah. It went, it went. Hitler has only got one ball. Goebbels has two, but very small. Himmler is very similar, and Goebbels has no balls at all. Da, 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 da. Yeah, well, that was a great hit back then. Though. So you could really jog along the road, you know, <laughs> singing that song on your iPod. But they didn't no, we didn't them, have iPods no. back then. In your no. head, it was just in your head, yes. in your eye head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. So, so what other similarities are there? I mean, did you, when they are, I of you, course don't have a similarity in that way. I'm, 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 I'm hung with both my nuts. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, I'm beautiful. not a one nut and nutter. Sorry, I just didn't want you to confuse okay. the situation. Overshare. Um. So, so, but, but I mean, to play that, to play him, um, it's, it's quite a feat. Now he had he had very small feet, very small feet, because you know he wasn't well hung in any way. You know what they say, you know. So no, he had very small feet, and uh, uh, and also the thing about Hitler that you must understand is that he wasn't very bright. He was just a mean, horrible man who thought that he had the right way to do everything. He's like, I'm right, you're wrong. If you don't like what I'm saying, I'll kill you. You know, it was a it was a philosophy and a kind of a political stance that we find very prevalent in the world today. You know, from our politicians around the world today, when we don't like it, we're just going to kill you. We're going to start a war, or we're going to have a revolution. We're going to take over the world. It's it's you know, this democracy is overrated for these people. <laughs> but did you did you find that um, after being cast in that role? People kind of, they can't really see you as anything else. I mean, how how can you, I mean, the only other sort of similar thing you could play maybe was be like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, no, Charlie, well, you know, Charlie Chaplin, of course, he he, he built up the little, his his, his role as the the little dustman. He built it up from from Hitler, of course. You know, Hitler had had terrible, you know, Charlie Chaplin used to walk with his legs apart, you know, and like swing from hip to hip, swinging his little stick. Well, of course, that that all came because Hitler, of course, at one time had incontinence. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's got these terrible rashes on the inside of his thighs, so he had to walk with his legs apart, like Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he picked it up from that. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, have you got any other roles that that you want to play, that you aspire to play? Maybe like Kim Jong Un or another dictator? But, you you know, know, I, I, I have, I've considered it. I've considered it strongly. However, you know, I went through the surgery once to be Hitler, yeah. and I think it's a bit drastic. You know, putting on a pound or two is one thing, but having your face altered, you know, and the skin color changed to be like, you know, I think it's going a bit far to play a role. 
So today, I just really like to perform on radio because then I can be anybody I like without having to have the physical changes made. You uh, you've got a great face for radio. I, think I have. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. So kind. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you know what would have happened, uh, you know, 40, 70 years ago when you said that to me. Uh, 70 years ago, you would have been shut for saying that. <laughs> Today, we just have to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hitler is dead. You're in the bunker playing Hitler. Why? Because there's a wonderful show, there's a wonderful play that's called The Last Mustache, which is about this man called Heine Schmidt. And he was the last Hitler lookalike uh, who was forced to play Hitler during the Second World War. And he was in the bunker at the end of the war. And his, uh, he was forced to play Hitler because Hitler had, of course, died. And so this play, this wonderful play written by uh, a local author called uh, Greg Fulhoun, very clever man. Local not to South Africa, not Germany. No, local to South Africa, ah. yeah. So I, I mean, I may say local, it's because I'm sitting here. Okay. You know? <laughs> no, if I was sitting in Germany and I said if I was a local, it'd mean he was a German, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, if he was in Argentina, <laughs> he would also be a German. Because <laughs> but here, he's a South African. Yeah, no, he wrote this play. And, uh, and we then uh, rehearsed it and we put it together. And it has turned out to be a simply a world-class production. So I'm very pleased with it. And your alter ego... Heiner is an actor called Tim Blumen. Yes. Hello. Oh, you can oh move over, Heiner. Yes. Wow. Hi. How's it? Hi, like Tim. How's it, guys? Good to see you. <laughs> and you're very nice to be here. Not the moustache today. No, no, thank goodness. Moustache is a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a quite incredible thing to actually wear, and um, the reaction that audiences have is astonishing. Well, uh, when you put this thing on, and you know, I mean, I, I've talked to, I, on Sunday, for example, I have people at the show who I know well. And um, when they came in, when I wear that moustache and I talk to them, they they look at me and talk to me completely differently. They well, to me, I, yeah, I, when you yeah. put the cap wow. on and you have the moustache on, yeah. you look like Hitler. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's, it's amazing. Yes. You did, you have, like did you actually have surgery? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Plumen. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't not, no, yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but it's just an attitude. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the great thing about um, all of those and those guys is that you look at them, what you're seeing is you see their attitude. You know, you don't yes. see their their faces. It's their mm. attitude that becomes a universal imprint. Yeah. Tim, did Greg write the play for you specifically? No, he wrote the play uh, and, uh, and then brought it to me and said, listen, I've got a play. Would you read it? And I said, absolutely, read it. Uh, I thought it had enormous potential. He went back. He did the rewrites, rewrites. We worked on it together. And uh, and this is what we've come up with now. And you played it for the first time at the Grahamstown Festival. Yeah, we opened it uh, last year at the Grahamstown Festival as a, you know, I, I was a tad worried about the play purely because it is Hitler, yeah. you know, and you, and and it's very emotive. Obviously, that whole subject is still very emotive and strong. And so, um, so we opened it at the Grahamstown Festival. It was just sensational. The the result was sensational, and so we decided on on bringing it up here. And um, really, the comments I've had from from all generations, and this is the thing, is that it crosses all barriers. It does, and yeah. I mean the concern that it paints Hitler in a uh, favorable light is really not a concern because it doesn't paint him in a favorable light <laughs> at all. In fact, yeah. he comes across as a buffoon. Absolutely, mm. he comes across as what he was, which is yes. you know is a terrible, awful, horrible man. Yes, who who, who created. Enormous misery. In fact, the greatest misery in the 20th century, you know. Yes. So, uh, and so that's very clearly in the play. But it, you know, to make us laugh at these guys, if we can begin to laugh at the monsters, because what the world forgets is that every couple of generations, we, a monster rises. You know, we had, uh, yeah. you go back in time, Genghis Khan's, you come forward, you know, then you had Napoleon, who in France is a hero, but the rest of the world, you know, here. But you had, um, you know, you got those, then you have Hitler, then you have Stalin, and then, and all these guys, and then 70, 80 years later, by that time, a generation who remembered and fought against this great evil have gone. Mm. And because the new generation don't remember them and think, oh, you know, what they're talking about, it's not that a new guy rises. Yeah, exactly. And up he comes. And Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Jong and Il. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, just look at. And look at the, the African dictators. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, There's a wealth of material there. Huge, huge wealth. Mm. You know, I mean, look what Idi Amin did. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you look at look at the devastation that's happened through Africa because of leaders. Mobutu yes, Sese Seko yeah. yeah. used to write personal checks because he owned all the wealth in the country. So, if uh, one of his ministers could persuade him that they needed a school, he'd write a personal check. Yeah. And and you know that he also um, he banned 
people <laughs> from wearing these leopard print hats because that was his trademark. So across the country, he he banned it. <laughs> you, if you were found wearing one or something well, close to been, one, you'd be shot. It should have been banned anyway. <laughs> yeah, not Tim, a great fashion yeah. statement there. But I mean, uh, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, you go. It's your show. I was show. just going to ask Tim, <laughs> as long as we're clear. <laughs> was it a difficult role, uh, or is it a difficult role um, playing Heine Schmidt? Well, it's it's challenging uh, because it's um, it's huge energy. Yes, you you're know, on the, the go every yeah. every second of it's that play. It's a high energy show, and uh, he's a very he's a Heine himself, the guy you know Heine Schmidt. Who's, he's a lovely man um, who's who has to play a monster. So you he has this he has this wealth of energy. This he, he tries to explode while he's talking to you because any minute now he's going to have to go back to being this character, this Hitler. And uh, and do awful things. So in the show itself is this enormous energy that goes through, and uh, uh, so it's, it becomes very tiring. You know, it's an hour and a half on stage uh, by yourself, uh, nonstop. I don't know. I mean, the cues and everything. I I came in and saw a little rehearsal. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a week yeah. ago. Um, you you have to be on it. So, so much mm. to be able to know where you're at because there are sort of similarities in the script as well. Like oh, sure. How, how do you prep for something like that? Well, any one-man show, I mean, one of the great lessons that you, that you learn is uh, having done Caveman. I mean, I did Caveman for 10 years, mm. um, and uh, uh, that was my second one-man show. I did my very first – just go back – my very first one-man show I ever did. I'd always thought doing a one-man show is the epitome of the art. If you can stand on a stage by yourself and hold an audience – for Absolutely. You know, oh, an hour and a half, so two scary. hours. That's the, that for me was like the epitome. So, and I'd watched guys who'd done one man shows and things, and I was blown away by them. And so, my very first one man show I did, I did a show called Low Mood by the Box. After we did Heel Against the Head with Paul Slab and, and Bill, I, I, and, a, and a New Zealand writer wrote this play called Low Mood by the Box, which was a guy who came out to watch the 95 World Cup called Dickie Hart. And he played the whole thing like this, as, you know, as a New Zealander. And, um, and it was it was a great fun to do, you know, and especially as they lost, and we won. So, you know, so it was <laughs> Even quite better. <clears throat> so um, and uh, and I, once I'd done that show, I said that's it. I said that's it. They one man shows are just un- too hard. I mean, they they take up so much. And then of course, Caveman came up, and I did that. And with the process of learning the thing, of learning how to perform in a one man show when you've got nobody else to give you a cue. That is the scary part, mm. because once you walk on that stage, there's no help. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's various things you have to do, and one of them is you have to know your script backwards and forwards, so that you you that you know exactly where you are at any given time and what's coming in the future. So you're completely locked into this whole volume of the piece. You must have the whole piece in your head at one time. Mm-mm. What what sort of hair raising moments or moustache raising moments <laughs> have you had during during your one man shows? Well, I've had I've had quite a few bristling moments with with uh, one man shows. Um, I, I think the the scary ones are when you something happens in the audience that takes you away from what mm. you're immediately saying, so you lose your concentration for yeah. a second. Um, just a couple of nights ago, uh, I do a part in this show where, where latecomers come in, all right? But I was in the middle of another <laughs> section of the play. Uh, and I'm busy. There's a part in the point where I talk about these these little boys who stand on the stage and they sing, you know, six little sausages frying in the pan, and they sing this little song. You see, as little boys, and I'm in there and I'm just getting into it. And on through the doors walk three people, uh, with a with a with an usher shining with a, a sausage torch. in their hand. <laughs> How weird would that have been? I thought that was very very cool when they walked. Those people walked in and you shot them. It did the so torch you, on them. Did you shout? What did you do? Oh, I said, latecomers. We have latecomers. Always latecomers. And the torch at them. <laughs> and Never seen such, them to their seats such embarrassed and people. That, and and then, then found your place in the script. And then found myself back so in the you script. see then that's... that's Is uh, that what happened to them? Had you lost your place? No, no, no. In the <laughs> second time I did. that, We put that in the script because they always oh. like them. But uh, the second time round, uh, these people just came in and walked straight across the front. And I said, oh, don't worry. I'll just stand here and dance until you found your seats. You see? And I did this whole uh, – I, I did a 10-minute improv about, you know, people being late. And then I thought, well, where the hell am I? But thank God I was <laughs> dancing. So I, at least I knew I was at one of the dances that I have to do in the show. <laughs> and you can so pick you them can up. Pick it but up, it's yeah. that moment of panic. There's a you moment imagine, of panic yeah. when you don't quite yeah. – you think, what is next? 
And the moment you think that, you know, you're in trouble. And if you've got someone there with you, they'll assist oh, they you. Tell so, you. So there's not a, a little old lady with the script in the wings. No, I mean, no, there's side. nobody. There's nobody. <laughs> there's nobody. You Just know, you in Caveman, once uh, after my 550th performance, I think it was, um, I, I, which was, I did 1,545 shows oh. in Caveman. Uh, and after my 550th performance, there was a show where I got on stage, and in the middle of the show, I just suddenly dried, and I didn't know where I was. Oh. And, I, and I didn't know where I had been, so I couldn't pick up from somewhere because I didn't know what I'd said. And there was nobody backstage. From the, from the curtain backwards, there's no one but me. So there were 500 people in front of the curtain and just me behind it. And, uh, and I dried, and, and, and I stood there. And I, nobody, you know, nobody in the wings, no prompt going, um, you know, just whatever it was. And so I had to walk off the stage down through the auditorium, up to the lighting box, where the only guy was who had a script and say, where am I? Uh, yeah. and, uh, uh, and that was the lesson. That you walked was the lesson. over to the lighting box. And, and I asked. said to, to the lighting guy, he, who had a script, where am I? And, he and said, what did the audience do? They just sat, they they probably sat there giggling. They sat there giggling. There's, there was probably somebody prob- in the audience who could have prompted you who'd oh. seen the show before. <laughs> but, but they I, said, no, they, they, I said, just talk amongst yourselves. I'll be back in a second. But I suppose They probably Tim, thought it was part of the yeah, show. They might well have. Might yeah. well have. But, but that's, scary, that's but the problem. I that think is scary. When you do so many shows that you almost go into autopilot, which is a dangerous that's place to the be. Problem. And that's the thing. You can't do that. Now, you see, I didn't. nobody could tell me why I was drying until you've got two kinds of memory. You've got short-term and long-term memory. Uh, you know, when you drive your car and you go home, you get home, you, but you've been thinking about, oh, you know, whatever it was, you know, my bills or the whatever. And you get home, you go, I don't know how, which way I drove. You, uh, you've got three ways you could have come. You don't remember. But you stopped at all the traffic lights. You did everything. But you just don't remember doing it because it's all automatic. Now, if you get to a point in a show after 500 shows where you can say the words without having to think about them, the moment somebody distracts you from those words, you're lost. Lost. Because you don't know what you've said. And that's the terrifying part. Uh, and now, so now we're trying to get that back and we're, uh, you have to reconcentrate yourself every night. So, yeah, the warm-up process for a one-man show is very important. So I have yeah. to consult with Helen on the next question we want to ask you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Throw me under the bus? <laughs> uh, we'll come right back to Tim. Uh, today is the fifth anniversary of Michael Jackson's death. We'll be back with Tim in just a moment.
Michael Jackson on the uh, occasion of the fifth anniversary of his death. And if you're wondering what that has to do <laughs> with uh, Heiner Schmidt, well, they both had extensive surgery. <laughs> we were trying to find. We were trying, <laughs> to, we were trying, find trying to find a connection. I know yeah, he was a pupil of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I just, you know, I suggest it's like a little, you know, like I did for Hitler. I suggest maybe he wanted to freshen his face a little. He took it too far, of course, because yeah. he took his entire face off. You he know, did. <laughs> and he went. From, what, a, what a talent, eh? What a talent. And he wrote a song called "Bad," and well, Hitler was bad. That's true. Yeah, but bad, bad in American slang is good. Co- is cool. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. so bad. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, that means you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim Pluman, sir, yes. when and where and how and who is this show on? Okay. The Last Moustache. The Last Moustache. Yeah. It's at the Fringe Theatre at the Joburg Theatre, which uh, for anybody who's over the age of 12 will remember it used to be called the Civic Theatre in Bromfontein. Uh, and uh, the the, uh, the the fringe is one of the, is a, is the small theatre on its on the side of it. It's a fantastic venue, uh, wonderful theatre, and uh, um, it's there for until the fifth of July. I'm on for the till the fifth of July only. Uh, and um, what else can I tell you? You have to book through the Johannesburg Theatre box office, which I think is www.johannesburgtheatre.com. Johannesburgtheatre.com. Johannesburgtheatre.com. Or phone their box office number. And even if you're not a theater goer, uh, well, you've seen worth, the show. So well, yeah. I found worth, the number. I saw the show. I was blown away. Uh, Tim, this this thing could run internationally. There's no question. Absolutely. And we've had we've had requests for it. The the the, the just the box office number quickly. Box office number is o eight six one six seven zero six seven zero. Easy. And ask for. Tickets for the Last Moustache. This the the great thing about this show is that it's written by Greg Villeneuve, as I say. Uh, it is truly an international production. It, this no show question. should absolutely go. Everywhere are you going to Edinburgh? That's the big question well, next year. Well, we are, I'm not sure if we're going to Edinburgh, but we are certainly um, at the moment. We've had um, requests from funny and strange places like Bosnia. Oh wow! Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I'm a bit scared to take it to Germany. I know. I was going to say. <laughs> I think Germans would love it. But I think Germans would love it. I think they'd fall sure. about. Sure. Yes. But I, th- yeah, it's that it's that kind of play, you know, where it's it's just so relevant. It's so um, and so funny. Yeah. It's as relevant today as it was then. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course uh, it keeps me young because I have to do a dance routine. So anybody who wants to, <laughs> it's amazingly physical that the role. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, I lose I, about a kilo a week. Really? Yeah. You wrote a book yeah. called uh, my book, Fitness for Old Farts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How, how did that yeah. do? We got to number seven on the bestseller list. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, what and did it's you did, do about that? It's very, that? very good. Yeah. yeah. Very. How did, did that come well. about? Well, it came about with with Bill Flynn, my friend Bill Flynn, the actor, uh, you know, who passed away at age fifty-seven. Jeez. And uh, and my great uh, my two my two great friends in life, and my two uh, or two of my great friends in life, I have others. Uh, but uh, who were both business partners with Jonathan Rands, the actor um, from Fifty Fifty and Jock of the Bushveld, and Bill Flynn, and both of them died age fifty seven from heart disease. Wow. Is that a fact? Yeah, and um, and the book literally stemmed from that because when I looked at uh, my friends, all the guys my age, uh, and at these two guys who were such brilliant men and such great personalities. Uh, and useless. I mean, just wasted away because they, you know, they didn't exercise. They didn't get themselves into shape, and they went. And so the whole idea of the fitness for all farts came from that. And we did a strenuous, a serious uh, look at it, uh, and uh, it, it it worked out fantastically. <laughs> and I'm fit. Got to get a whole strong. You look fit. Yeah, and I'm very and, strong. Uh, now. And you're only 27. So. I'm only 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to uh, wrap. Yo 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 yo. If my if you don't see another play, don't miss uh, The Last Moustache with Tim Pluman. It's absolutely inspired and inspiring. Thank you.